Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Boosting Your Financial IQ. Today we're gonna be diving deep into the fundamentals of finance that you should know. This is a really important episode. Now, before we kick things off, I have a favor to ask of you. Go to byfiq.com, which is Boosting Your Financial IQ, and take the Financial IQ Assessment. You can access that on the homepage at the very bottom. Click on the button and begin. It's very simple, there are a few questions, it's not gonna take you long at all, but that's what we're gonna be covering today in this episode. So if you just listen to the episode, I'm gonna be giving you the answers. So it's kind of like giving you the answers to the test and then expecting you to learn something. So it's gonna be a way better experience. You're gonna learn so much more if you take the Boosting Your Financial IQ free financial IQ assessment first, okay? That's all you gotta do. There's no gimmicks, there's nothing else. Just take the assessment. All right, if you're listening to this episode later on and our homepage has changed, you can still access the Financial IQ Assessment by signing up for our free community. And then in that section of the community, there's a resources page and you can take it there. Okay, let's go ahead and dive in. But before we do, I wanna introduce you to somebody. Vince Lombardi was an icon American football coach who left a lasting impact on the sport. He's known for his exceptional coaching abilities and leadership skills. Lombardi achieved great success during his tenure as a head coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s. Now you may be wondering, okay, Steve, this isn't an episode about football. It's an episode about the fundamentals of finance. But the reason why I'm introducing you to Vince Lombardi is because he did something really interesting with his team. And since he's known for his exceptional coaching abilities, I figured I'd follow suit. So this is what he did. He took his players, okay? These are professional athletes who've been playing American football for a very long time. And at the start of a new season, he would pull out a football. He would hold it in his hand and he would look at his players and say, this is a football. They probably looked at him like, this guy's a condescending jerk. We know what a football is. Why is he taunting us? But then he would explain the football. Okay, this is the leather, these are the strings, this is how it works, this is why it's shaped this way. Then he would take them down to the football field and he would say, this is a football field. It's 100 yards, here are the markers, this is how it's laid out. Give all the dimensions and everything else. And what he was trying to teach his players was the fundamentals really do matter. And that's what I wanna talk to you about today in this episode. Now, with the Boosting Your Financial IQ Assessment, I have noticed a lot of people have taken it. And I've also seen some trends in what people are missing when it comes to this assessment. So I'm gonna go through each of the questions today in this episode, which will help you to really solidify these fundamentals in finance. And then I'm gonna explain the answers and provide you the context you need to ensure you're increasing your financial intelligence and you're beginning your journey down this path based on the fundamentals that I'm about to explain. So let's go back to the basics master these building blocks, and then build from here. Okay, so question number one. Which financial statement provides information about a company's revenues, expenses, and net income? A, balance sheet, B, cash flow statement, C, income statement, or D, statement of retained earnings? The correct answer is the income statement. Okay, the income statement is a flow through always starts with revenue, cost of goods sold in SG&A, and you end up with profit at the end of the day. That was a song that I created years ago when I was teaching this course to a room of corporate executives. They thought I was a total wackadoo, but that's the song that I came up with. I even introduced that song at the very beginning of this podcast when it first launched a while back. 
but that's the song that I teach people in order to understand what the income statement is. So it's a flow through because net income flows through to the balance sheet. It always starts with revenue, cost of goods sold, and SG&A, also known as operating expenses, and you end up with profit at the end of the day. So if you remember that, this question becomes easy. So an income statement ultimately measures how much revenue a company's doing, how much they're selling, and then it accounts for their cost to produce that revenue, cost of goods sold. And then you have operating expenses, the expenses of the business, like paying rent, marketing, general and administrative salaries, and so on and so forth. All of those expenses are accounted for, and then you end up with net income or profit. So that's the answer there. It's not a balance sheet. It's not a statement of cash flows. The income statement ultimately measures revenue and expenses and profitability. Okay, moving on to question number two. We only have 40 more to go. No, I'm just kidding. All right, 13 more to go. Question number two, which financial statement provides information about capital expenditures? A, the income statement, B, balance sheet, C, cash flow statement, or D, statement of retained earnings? The correct answer is the cash flow statement. So the cash flow statement is organized into three sections, cash flow from operating activities, cash flow from investing activities, and cash flow from financing activities. And guess what? Capital expenditures, which basically includes your property, plant, and equipment, the equipment and machinery that you're investing in in order to run your business, those are capital expenditures, also known as CapEx, if you want to sound cool. But CapEx is found on the statement of cash flows in the investing activity section. So that's where you'll find how much cash is going out the door in order to pay for a company's property, plant, and equipment. Now, you could find it on the balance sheet, but it's a little more nuanced. You could take the delta between one period and the next, and that's where you're going to find the change in property, plant, and equipment. But a company, if they're selling assets, they're going to be recognizing gains and losses and then writing off depreciation, and then it gets a little bit more messy and a little bit harder to dissect. So the best financial statement to find CapEx is on the cash flow statement. All right, moving on, okay? Hopefully you're doing well so far. Number three, the financial statement that reports a company's assets, liabilities, and equity is the balance sheet, A, B, the income statement, C, the cash flow statement, or D, the statement of retained earnings. Okay, if you answered A, the balance sheet, you are correct. The balance sheet is dear to me, assets, liabilities, and equity, in order by liquidity, and it ties to net income with rigidity. Okay, that's the balance sheet song. I might be a little off, okay, it's early. Give me a break. But the balance sheet lists a company's assets, liabilities, and equity. And in fact, that's the accounting formula. Assets equal liabilities plus equity. That's how a balance sheet balances. On one side are the assets, on the other side are the liabilities and equity of a company. So if you answered balance sheet, you are correct. Now, let's keep moving on. What is the accounting formula? Assets equal liabilities minus equity. B, assets plus equity equals liabilities. C, assets plus liabilities equals equity. Or D, assets equals liabilities plus equity. I just gave you the answer here without even knowing it. So if you answer D, assets equal liabilities plus equity, then you're correct. Remember, that's how a balance sheet balances. 
it's not called the unbalance sheet, it's called the balance sheet. So you have assets of a company, which includes the company's cash, their inventory, their accounts receivable, their equipment, all the assets that a company owns. And those assets have to be supported either by a company's debt, their liabilities, or their equity. Liabilities may include accounts payable, short-term debt, and other things that the company owes on. And then equity represents all the earnings that the company has retained or how much cash has been invested in the business or withdrawn from the business. So equity and liabilities support assets. Just remember that formula. Assets equal liabilities plus equity. A lot of people miss that one. Okay, the next question here. Net income on the income statement is calculated as revenue minus expenses, B, assets minus liabilities, C, cash inflows minus cash outflows, or D, revenue minus cost of goods sold. If you said A, you are correct. It's revenue minus expenses equals net income. A lot of people answer for some reason cash inflows minus cash outflows. That is not how you measure net income. Remember, it's all the money that the company generates by selling its products and services to its customers. That's revenue minus the expenses, cost of goods sold and operating expenses. And after you deduct those two things, you end up with net income. All right, moving on. Let's go to question number six. In finance, liquidity refers to A, the ability of a company to generate profit from its assets, B, the total value of a company's assets, C, the extent to which a company's assets exceed its liabilities, or D, the ability of a company to meet its short-term obligations. If you answered D, the ability of a company to meet its short-term obligations, you are correct. That's what liquidity means. And when I sang the balance sheet song, when I said an order by liquidity, on the balance sheet, all the accounts are typically listed in order by liquidity, especially in the United States under US GAAP. Now, IFRS, International Financial Reporting Standards, reports things a little bit differently, but on the balance sheet, typically the accounts are listed in order by liquidity, the ability to convert these accounts into cash. So if you think about cash, it's listed first on the balance sheet, and that's because cash is cash right? Or accounts receivable is typically listed second because you can collect on your money and convert it into cash. Inventory is a little bit less liquid because you have to go out there and sell it or convert it into cash in some other way. And that's why it's listed a little bit further down. So that's liquidity. But when you're looking at a company's liquidity position, as in this question here, the ability to convert its assets into cash and then cover its short-term obligations is really what we're talking about here. Okay, moving on, you're doing a great job. Halfway there. The purpose of financial ratios is to A, evaluate a company's cash flows, B, assess a company's liquidity, profitability, and financial stability, C, calculate a company's return on investment, or D, determine a company's weighted average cost of capital. If you answered B, assess a company's liquidity, profitability, and financial stability, you are crushing it. You're doing a great job. And that's exactly what financial ratios are intended to do is they're meant to measure a company's financial performance. And that involves their liquidity, their profitability, their debt load, their asset management effectiveness. All these things are measured by financial ratios in key performance indicators, KPIs. 
So great job with that. Let's move on to question number eight. The financial ratio that measures a company's ability to meet its short-term obligations is the A, debt to equity ratio, B, current ratio, C, gross profit margin, or D, return on assets. We talked about this a couple questions back when we were referring to liquidity. So a company's ability to meet its short-term obligations is measured by the current ratio. Now, do you know how the current ratio is calculated? Okay, this is the bonus question here. If you take current assets divided by current liabilities, that's how you'll find the current ratio. In a ratio that's greater than one says that the company is liquid, meaning that if you take all the company's current assets, it's cash, it's accounts receivable, it's inventory, and you converted those to cash, and then you took the company's current liabilities, meaning it's short-term debt obligations, like their accounts payable, their payroll liabilities, maybe there's some payroll tax liabilities in there, but if you take all these liabilities and you compare that to the current assets, remember, and you divide the two, if you have more than one, it means you have more current assets than current liabilities, and therefore you're liquid. So it goes back to that liquidity thing that we just talked about. That's how you measure a company's ability to meet its short-term obligations, the current ratio. The quick ratio, which isn't on here, but I'll just explain this real quick. The quick ratio is like the current ratio, except you're just excluding inventory. Because think about it. Inventory is not super liquid. Think about Home Depot. Home Depot has a ton of products in its stores, but it's not like it's going to just take some of the product off the shelf, go sell it on the open market, so then it could cover its rent expense. That's why you exclude inventory in the quick ratio because you want to see, okay, how much cash and money that's owed from customers do you have in order to cover your liabilities? So that's what we're talking about here is the current ratio and the quick ratio. Hopefully that makes sense to you. But before we move on, I have to ask you, where would you find current assets and current liabilities on which financial statement? Okay, if you said the balance sheet, you're doing really well. But the balance sheet, remember, has the assets, liabilities, and the equity balances of the company. So that's where you're going to find current assets and current liabilities is on the balance sheet. Okay, moving on. Let's move on to number nine here. Free cash flow, which is Steve's favorite thing in finance. You'll hear me talk about free cash flow all the time. So make sure you pay attention to this question. Free cash flow is calculated as A, operating cash minus capital expenditures, B, net income plus depreciation and amortization, C, operating cash flow plus financing cash flow, or D, earnings before interest and taxes, EBIT minus taxes. If you answered A, operating cash flow minus capital expenditures, you are correct. So the fastest way to compute free cash flow is to go to the cash flow statement. And remember, there are three sections, operating, investing, and financing. If you go to the first section, you'll find at the bottom total cash from operating activities. This is all the cash that a company produces by running normal operations, by selling its products and services to its customers and doing everything else to run the business. So you take operating cash and then you subtract out capital expenditures. And that will tell you how much cash is available, your free cash for debt and equity providers. The long way of computing free cash flow, which I walk people through in the academy in the discounted cash flow model, is to take net operating profit after tax, add back depreciation and amortization, account for working capital, and then subtract out capital expenditures. 
But the statement of cash flows does a great job of doing the first part of the formula because you have net income. It is already adding back depreciation and amortization because that's not a true cash outflow. And then it's already accounting for working capital. So all you got to do is if you want to shortcut the formula is go to the statement of cash flows, look at cash from operating activities and subtract out capital expenditures. Okay, moving on. What does a positive NPV indicate? What does NPV even indicate? NPV represents net present value. Okay, so here are your options. A, a positive NPV indicates that the investment will generate more cash flows than outflows. B, the investment will not yield any returns. C, the investment has high risk and uncertainty. Or D, the investment is not financially viable. If you answered A, the investment will generate more cash flows than outflows, you are correct. So in capital budgeting, which we cover in level 3.0 within the Boosting Your Financial IQ Academy, you are ultimately determining how much cash flow a project or a financial asset or a business will produce over a given period of time. If the cash that's flowing into the business is exceeding how much cash is going out of the business to make this investment, then you're going to have positive net present value. And that's ultimately what we're talking about here. Moving on, question number 11. I just touched on this. Capital budgeting is the process of A, assessing a company's financial performance over time, B, calculating a company's net present value, their NPV, C, evaluating investment opportunities and making decisions about long-term projects, or D, determining a company's cost of capital. So where most people get tripped up is on B, calculating a company's net present value. That is not the process of doing capital budgeting. It's an outcome of capital budgeting, but really capital budgeting is all about evaluating investment opportunities and then making decisions about long-term projects. If you don't know how to build a capital budget, or if you don't know how to read a capital budget, this is a really important concept to master. Like I said, I explained this in level 3.0 of the academy, and I walk you through a lot of the examples so you can feel confident in this area. But recently, in the real world, let me just give you an example beyond academia. I was working with a client, and they were trying to determine whether or not to expand their business and open up additional stores. And we were looking at a specific location. And what I did is I created a capital budget for them. I put revenue in, the expenses, the CapEx, the working capital. I built this beautiful model, which ultimately measured their cash inflows and their cash outflows. And I calculated net present value and IR, the internal rate of return. And this model allowed us to make a solid decision of whether or not we should open this location. And based on this analysis, we ended up acquiring this location we did a buyout, we acquired these assets, and we're opening up a location here at the beginning of next year, which is really cool to see finance in action. So that's what I'm talking about here. That's what capital budgeting does. It ultimately helps you to make better decisions about long-term projects or situations as it pertains to finance. Number 12, how is intrinsic value calculated for a stock? A, by analyzing the historical performance of the stock. B, by assessing the company's brand reputation and customer loyalty. C, by discounting the future cash flows of the stock. Or D, by multiplying its P ratio by its market capitalization. If you answered C, by discounting the projected future cash flows of the stock, you answered correctly. So Warren Buffett, the billionaire investor, the most successful investor of all times, it could be argued, 
he says that intrinsic value is essentially the discounted value of all future cash flows that a business is expected to produce. And that's ultimately what we're doing here when we're computing intrinsic value of a stock is we're looking at a business and what that stock represents and all the future cash flow that the company is expected to earn over its remaining life. And we're bringing those cash flows back into today's dollars, which is also known as discounting. And that's how you determine the intrinsic value of a company's equity or their stock. Okay, two more questions. Number 13, how does expansionary monetary policy impact the economy? A, it increases interest rates. B, reduces government spending. C, encourages borrowing and spending. Or D, decreases the money supply. All right, if you answered C, encourages borrowing and spending, you are correct. So expansionary monetary policy is all meant to stimulate the economy or contract it. Inflation's running piping hot and you need to slow things down. When it comes to the economy in the United States, about 70% of it is driven by consumer spending. If you want to control the economy, there are a lot of things you could do to stimulate borrowing and spending or to contract it. And that's really what monetary policy is all about. Increasing interest rates, a lot of people will check that, or reducing government spending. Those are parts of it, but that's not how monetary policy necessarily impacts the economy. Once again, in level 1.0 of the academy, I go through this in a lot of detail. So if you need to deepen your knowledge of macroeconomics, that's a really critical level to pass. And there's a lot of content in there that will help you understand the economy and financial markets. Okay, last question. Thanks for sticking with me. Number 14, return on investment, ROI, is calculated as A, net income divided by the cost of investment, B, cash inflows divided by the cost of investment, C, gross margin divided by the equity portion of an investment, or D, EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization, divided by the equity portion of an investment. If you answered net income divided by the cost of investment, you are correct. That's how you calculate ROI, net income divided by the investment cost, and bam, there you have it. All right, so how did you do? How did you do on this? If you didn't do super great, don't worry. A lot of people get tripped up on these questions, but these are fundamentals that you really should know. Just like with Vince Lombardi, how he explained what a football is. He's explaining this to players who've played the game for years. So the same thing may be true for you. You may work in the world of business. You may invest. You may do a bunch of things related to finance, but it's going back to the fundamentals, which is really, really critical. And that's what I wanted to do in this episode is to help drive some of these concepts home. Now, there's so many other things that we didn't cover that we can't cover in a half hour episode, but I at least wanted to provide a little bit of context and help you to understand where you're at from a financial IQ perspective. If you want to deepen your financial IQ, which obviously I'm super bullish about, because if you want to be successful in business or in investing, you have to understand the language of money and how it all works. It's like becoming fluent in another language. When I was younger in high school, thank goodness, I took the time to learn another language. I learned how to speak Spanish. And then when I started my landscape company at 16, the time had passed to learn the language. I was hiring employees and that's the language they spoke was Spanish. And if I didn't know how to speak Spanish, my business would definitely not be as successful as it was because I wouldn't be able to communicate with my workforce, which is a super important thing. 
The same thing is true with finance. It's like learning another language. If you know how money works, you can speak the language, you can make better investment decisions, and just overall, you can think more strategically. So I highly encourage you to increase your financial IQ, and that's what you're doing by tuning in to this podcast. If you want to check out the Academy, you could do that for free by going to byfiq.com. You can sign up for a free trial, so get started there, or you could go to the App Store and download the Boosting Your Financial IQ app and do it on your phone. Either way, it all connects, whether it's through the app or on your desktop, you could learn finance on the go, which is super cool. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Thanks for sticking with me as we walk through some of these fundamentals of finance, and I wish you all the best. And until next episode, take care of yourself. Cheers. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.